Thank you all. Thanks for serving us that way. I appreciate so much that these folks give of their time and effort and their talents to serve us. And uh, the fact that they get to sit in the front row one more time and listen to me drabble on about life. Well, um, I like that song. It fits really well with what we're kind of dealing with today because it's the whole issue of, uh, of people being hurting and paying attention and doing stuff for them. I wouldn't doubt at all that there's a bunch of people right here right now that are hurting. Others don't know about it. It's one of those things that is just uh, kind of hidden or quiet or we're just not paying attention and maybe sometimes we're, we're better to have our radar running and to have our, um, have our, uh, our pressure gauges going so we can understand what, uh, what people are dealing with. These... Apparently this is working. I like these things. This would be a great... Have you ever seen these things, these dry erase kind of boards? I think it would be a great way, actually, to wallpaper a kid's room. Because, um, you know, they can mess it up, but it kind of gets... I love this stuff. I don't know if you can... But, I mean, I just love how, poof, it's gone. Clean as a whistle. But I am easily entertained. All right. Dear Dr. Nebel, I've recently learned that you will soon be speaking at Door Creek Church again, and I thought I would take the opportunity to raise an issue for your consideration. While both you and Pastor Mark are competent communicators, it seems that at times you are competitive with one another, trying to outdo each other. I think that this distracts from your central goal of teaching. Perhaps it's time to stop such childish banter and get around to the serious nature of what you are being asked to do. And another thing. How come we keep referring to you as Dr. Nebel, but we call Pastor Mark Pastor, even though he has an earned doctorate degree as well? Could it be that ego is involved here too? (laughs) Have a great day. Sincerely, Anonymous. Well, somebody's got issues. <laughs> man, oh man, competitive? Why would I want to be competitive with my pastor? I mean, it has nothing to do with sales records of CDs or anything like that. I've got no reason to want to be competitive with my pastor, especially while he's away enjoying some rest and relaxation. Why would I want that? You know, I mean, we pretty much have the same goals in life, do sort of the same things. We uh, have the same education. We've each authored books. I mean, why would competition even matter? Here's, here's an interesting thing. I uh, 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 bet you don't know. Um, but here's another thing we have in common. Uh, both the My Fairs and us, we each own vacation properties in Door County, and we each rent them out, make them available to people. So why would even that want to be competitive. I mean, it's up to you if you'd rather spend some time in a cabin in the woods. <laughs> or would rather be at a palatial seaside villa watching the sunset. It's entirely up to you. It doesn't matter to me. It's not an issue of competitiveness. But while this is up here... Let me show you our cottage, which has been in the family for 75 years, because there's an interesting twist on some things that have happened there recently, not the least of which involves our pastor, Mark Myfair, and his wife, Lori. 
we have had some strange things happening at our cottage, just incidental events over the last several months. Isolated, they don't mean all that much. Someone drives down the driveway, they go. Um, you know, uh, something is missing or moved, or um, um, the the heat bills are up, or the you know something uh, has has been taken away. I mean, just all kinds of little isolated things that just happen. But once you start to put them together, a pattern evolves and they make sense. Well, it was the night before Thanksgiving. We were here, many of you, there was a baptism service here at Door Creek Church. And afterwards, we were having some uh, dessert. And I was talking to the pastor because they were about to leave to head up to their place in Door County. And I said, uh, hey, or actually, he said to me, he said, is there anything we can do for you while we're up in your old home area? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, we left some things at our cottage, and we wonder if it wouldn't be an inconvenience for you to drop in and pick the stuff up. It really help us out. He said, no problem. They were going to do that on Sunday on their way back. We had some renters in over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but they'd be gone by then. They could just stop by and get the stuff. So on their way back, Mark and Lori stopped into our cottage, and I gave them the key code to punch the buttons and to get the key out and then to get into the place. And um, he said that uh, something strange happened while they were down there. Now, they did get the stuff, and later on that week, as I got it and retrieved it, I was talking, he said, something strange happened. He said, we drove down the driveway, just as you instructed, and I noticed that there was a car there. It was a green Ford Taurus, and he said, I thought you said your renters would have been gone by then. So I went up and knocked on the door, and nobody was there. Um, so I, I knocked a little bit longer and, uh, and then went back and got the key and then Lori and I went in and we looked around a little bit but we didn't look around long we didn't have much time we grabbed the stuff we were then there maybe a couple of minutes came out, locked it up, put the key away then I turned around and noticed that green Ford Taurus was missing well he tells me that story and I just throw it into the well I guess stuff happens Ben and I you know just wondering about it but no particular pattern well fast forward till tomorrow when a group of teenagers will have a court hearing. What had happened was, through a series of circumstances, one of these high schoolers got a hold of the key code to our property. And they got in and had been sort of using it as their little party haven over the months. The way that we discovered it is that we were actually had uh, some other relatives were headed down there in January, and guess what? Sun, uh, Friday night, there was a green Ford Taurus in the driveway. Called the police. The police got into the place, took these kids in. Well, fascinating thing, because one thing I didn't quite explain to you is there's, there's a way to get into the crawl space that eventuates in a trap door in another place in the building. It's a secret trap door that I'm not telling you about. But what these kids had is they had an escape plan. If anybody ever came down, what they would do is they would drop down the, the, the trap door, they would circle through the building, come around underneath in this crawl space area, and then if anybody was upstairs, they would either stay down there or they would disappear. So here's what happened when the pastor and Lori went in. They went in, knocked on the door. As they climbed down the driveway, these kids evaporated into the trap door. Then they snuck to the other end of the building and they heard the knocking on the door. They just waited and waited and waited until the bodies came inside. They were confident of that. Then they peeled around the outside of the building, went around back, made it to their car and took off. Pretty good shtick for a while. Somebody's near a teenager right now. Just kind of cuff them once for me. But isn't it fascinating what can be taking place right under our feet and we don't even know about it? 
or what can be taking place around the corner or in our very lives. It's like the song we just sang, that, that there can be pain and suffering and pressure in people's lives. And even as members of the body of Christ, we are not always clued in. And it leads, in a sense, to our discussion today as we continue this series called Crosswalk. We're walking with Jesus toward the cross. And we're going through the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the four camera angles on the life of Jesus. And, and today when we get to our text, which is found in page 719 in the Bibles we have around here, it's Mark chapter 14, we're getting to the story of a time when Jesus himself was under extreme pressure and not everybody was paying attention to what was going on right under their feet. But there was somebody who did. Her name was Mary, and because of her sensitivity to Jesus, her story lives in infamy to today. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark 14. If you don't, uh, go ahead and grab one next to you. If you're next to someone who doesn't have a Bible, go ahead and cuff them too. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I want to read the entire text, chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Now the Passover... And the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him, but not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. When he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured a perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now there's the whole text, but I want you to notice that the corpus of what we're going to deal with today is bookended by two very, very uh, uh, extreme uh, references to the evil that was impending and the difficulty that was coming down on the life of Jesus, who himself was walking toward the cross. I mean, the first couple of verses say this, now the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, were only two days away. And what happened? The chief priests, the teachers of the law, that didn't mean law school professors, that meant those who normally taught the law of Moses, the Bible. Uh, they were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Well, Jesus wasn't blind to this. He was walking into a, a, a story that had been uh, predicted and had been foreordained for him. He was not blind to this, but God in flesh was yet flesh and was feeling the pain of that. And then the last couple of verses, as it sums up what's happened, it says Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went ahead to betray Jesus. So you see there is evil all over the place when Jesus now is reclining in the home in Bethany and is having a meal. The barometric pressure was, was very, very intense, yet it seemed like in the crowd only one person was, was picking up on it. it. resulted in a story 
of infamy. Just a few things. It tells us in verse 1 and 2, the Passover was upon them. Remember, that was that story that, uh, that resulted in the Jews every year celebrating, as they still do, how God had redeemed the nation of Israel and allowed them out of slavery in Egypt. Remember, the angel of death was coming, and every home that had the door over the post of, the, uh, of their home, the angel of death would do what? Pass over and then allow them to live. And then the Jews ended up escaping. So they would celebrate that. It tells us it was in the middle of the week here, and Jesus was reclining for a meal at the home of a guy named Simon the leper. Now, to recline at a meal um, would have meant that uh, you would have kicked back and sort of leaned on your uh, elbow. It tells us in verse 5, or I'm sorry, in verse 3 and following what had happened. So he is in Bethany reclining at the table. Bethany was a neighboring town to Jerusalem. I like to think of it in this passage as kind of like being the green room. You know that when a celebrity is going to go on the, the Tonight Show or on Letterman or something, you know how they, they put them in the green room beforehand. It's a place that they kind of go to relax, to kind of get ready, and, um, and, and they're going to just kind of sip their, uh, their room temperature water and kind of enjoy life a little bit before the pressure is on. And I think of Bethany like being a green room because it would have been a friendly place because Jesus had friends there. Particularly there was a family that consisted of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. Mary was a devoted one to Jesus, as was Martha. There was another story where, where Martha had worked very hard to put together a banquet. Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus honored Mary for that. So it would have been that, those kinds of friendships uh, that would have been resident in Bethany. And then there must have been a friendship with a guy named what? Simon the leper. Now, there's a great name. Simon the leper. I'm thinking to myself when I read this that here's a guy who had trouble getting dates. <laughs> Can you imagine that on Facebook? You know, Simon the leper. That's me. You know, and, and, and me, because I'm different than a lot of you, I, I just get these, these uh, images that start to cascade in my mind. Oh, I, I'm imagining Simon the leper on the phone with like a Barry White voice, you know, going, hey, baby. <laughs> It's Simon the leper. (laughs) What was this about? He certainly was not leprous at the time. It would have been against the law of Moses for a, a, a healthy person to dine or to be near a leper. In fact, the lepers were required to be isolated in specific communities. If any of them were ever healed, what would happen is that they would go to the chief priest and they would examine them, and if they were fine, then they would be allowed back into society as a whole. So what must have happened is this must have been one who had been healed of leprosy, but the name stuck. I was thinking of uh, one of my sons was um, very short for quite a while. And uh, he no longer is. I kept telling him, you know, one day, you know, I hit my growth spurt and whoosh, you know. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he did hit his growth spurt. And he's t- one of the taller members of the family right now. But, but um during that short season of his life, he used an email address. It was short Nebel. And then at the 
IP address. And, and today he still uses that same email address, Short Nebel, even though he's no longer what I consider, certainly you would consider to be short. But the name stuck, so Simon the leper, the name would have stuck. And presumably this would have been a very celebratory time, despite the fact that there was evil in the air. The celebration maybe was celebrating his healing. Who knows what it was, but certainly some of, the, some of the regular suspects were around. And at these dinners, it was not unusual for there to be onlookers and people around, and you would have had the whole crowd. You had disciples, you would have had Simon and his, his gang. Um, we're going to see Mary shows up, and, and then there were these, uh, these teachers of the law, these, uh, these evil ones. And it says that out of nowhere this woman comes with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Nard came from, from the, the area of, of uh, um, India. It was very expensive. It was used as a burial perfume. It would have been expensive just because of how it was made, but also because of the transport involved in those days. And the Bible scholars are telling us that these jars that they had would have carried the nard, um, either could have been broken open or could have been opened and then used in parcels. Tells us here, Mary did the former. It says, she broke the jar and poured perfume on his head. Well, this perfume would have been worth a year's wages. The uh, onlookers are sizing it up. Quite possibly was a perfume in the family that had been used for burials over time. Quite possibly had a, a, a top you could pull off and then use it as is necessary. This would have been the jar that Mary would have run to when her brother Lazarus was dying. And then when he died, until Jesus came and raised him from the dead, and then it went back on the shelf until the barometric pressure was such that Mary was feeling what Jesus was going through. He indicates that for us in a little bit. And she came and broke that baby wide open. It's kind of like uh, she was saying, I'm all in. <laughs> Not just playing, I'm all in. She busts that jar open. The jar is no longer good. She dumps out all the perfume on Jesus, and the onlookers are having a fit. Well, why are they having a fit? Some of these disciples, some of those people there, saw Jesus as a very opportune time to gain political rule in the nation. This might have been the time now Jesus was coming in and was going to be king, and we were all going to be set up pretty strong. And these people start muttering among them. We know one of them from John's parallel story in the Gospel of John was Judas Iscariot and says, why this waste of perfume could have been sold for more than the year's wages of money given to the poor. And, and notice, it says some of them in verse 4 were, were saying indignantly to one another. So there's this scoffing going on this. What a waste. What a waste. And I sort of get that because I run the numbers on things. I sort of get that. But I don't know if I entirely trust their hearts. But then check this out, that very last line. It says, and they rebuked her harshly. You ever been corrected by anybody? Certainly. Ever been rebuked harshly by someone? Probably. Ever been rebuked harshly by someone in a public setting where dignity ought to rule? That's a whole different game, isn't it? 
And they, they piled on. They body blocked her. They pushed at her. And, 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 and right there in front of Jesus and everybody, they let her have it. Acts of kindness. Acts of kindness ought to be allowed to happen. And I understand there's extravagances all here, but it was hers. And just let them do their act of kindness. I don't know if you've ever gotten in the way of someone else's act of kindness. I have. I, uh, I'm growing in the whole world of kindness. I think I'm kinder than I've ever been, and I've always been known as a nice guy, but there's parts about me where I'm almost like these disciple guys. Um, gosh, eight, nine, ten years ago, uh, we needed some time away. The family, we took the boys, and we ran down to Chicago for a couple of days, stayed at a nice hotel on Michigan Avenue, and then we went down to, um, to Navy Pier. You ever been there? You know, it's a circus down on the shore there in Chicago. We were walking down, and my wife, Lori, is a, is a person who just cares that things go well for people. It's how she is. She just wants your life to be better. And as we're walking along, she's pulling out of her purse all kinds of coins because she's noticing that there are... Um, are cars at parking meters that are about to expire or have expired. So she's punching quarters and nickels and dimes in and This is not her mission in life is to go take care of people's parking. But at that moment, she thought to herself, why not? Well, I'm watching her do this. And I'm thinking to myself, lots of stuff. Why bother? And, you know, plus, you know, we're losing nickels. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm going through all that kind of stuff. And I started making fun of her. I was, I was just picking at it, just, you know. Just making fun of her to the point where it just took all the fun out of it for her and she stopped. So these guys were doing only worse. They were, they were harshly rebuking her. And Jesus, who's the one right in the pressure cooker himself, almost like a parent here at a, at a family dinner, says this, leave her alone. Said, Jesus, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you are always going to have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Ah. And I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It's like a family-style restaurant, right? <laughs> it's like a family-style meal or... All our dysfunctions show up, you know, family style. <laughs> and in families, you know how we set one another aside once in a while? We say, hey, lay off. Wait, quiet down. Leave them alone. It's like Jesus is doing that. They have rebuked her harshly. He says, leave her alone. There's not a sense that he's harsh back at them. He says, leave her alone and starts to describe a couple of things that might have been new. They may have heard it before that Jesus was on, on his death march. It was a necessary thing for the redemption of humanity. It was a necessary thing, but they weren't always getting it. And, and he says, you know what? That perfume is used for burial, and guess what's going to be happening? I'm going to be buried pretty soon. So he tells them, don't get in the way of a kindness. I think it's also interesting that Jesus himself was willing to receive kindness, which sometimes is a lesson for us when others are reaching out and just simply wanting to do nice things. 
for us to accept those. But then he also says something that's just powerfully revealing. Verse 9, tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel's preached today, or preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. There's a special category for acts of kindness for the sake of Christ. They really are. It's like when we do things to honor Jesus, in sense of kindness, there's a special category it seems like those fall into. So with a missionary family a few weeks ago in Mexico. Uh, actually knew the husband, didn't know the wife, Kathy, till I met her. And then I met their three little kids, beautiful little kids. They had been adopted. And it's a fascinating story. They're Mexican children adopted. And I walk in, they're getting ready for school, and the boys are all decked out and shake my hand and shake my hand. And then their little girl, Andalusia, she's in her beautiful little dress, just looking sweet as can be. And, uh, and, and, and I put out my hand to shake her hand, and she keeps her hands behind her. And then her mom, Kathy, said, um, well, she wants to kiss you. And uh, I go, what's new? <laughs> so I lean down, and uh, she kisses me on the side of my cheek. And uh, then I pulled out my wallet and gave her all my money. You know, it's just like... <laughs> well, later on, we're having a conversation. The kids are off to school, and Kathy was talking about it, what it was like to be a blonde woman in Mexico where she lived. Because people look upon this blonde hair as something, um, you know, a special and how she's kind of gawked on and so on. And I said, well, that's a fascinating story, with the exception of the fact that you are not blonde. You have uh, dark hair. She says, well, yeah, you see, uh, some months ago, Andalusia was just looking at me and just said, when I grow up, I just want to look just like my mommy. I want to look just like my mommy. And she said that's when she decided she would dye her hair. For the sake of Christ. It's a nice thing. Sweet thing. <laughs> to, uh, to do that for people. Just every which way. And it's kind of like I said, there's a, there's a special category for, for people that are doing acts of kindness for the sake of Christ. You know, she comes in and pours out this perfume and Jesus says, leave her alone. This is a good thing. You know, and, and just acts of kindness for the sake of Christ. It could be anything. It could be dropping nickels in uh, parking meters for crying out loud or you could change the color of your hair. I mean, acts of kindness for the sake of Christ. And it's almost like they're in a whole different category. It's part of the teaching of this text. I think you know what I mean by that. So, well, actually, I do think you know what I mean. Um, That acts of Christ, or acts of kindness for the sake of Christ are written in permanent ink. Jesus said, this can be told forever. And here we are blabbing about her today. But acts of kindness for the sake of Christ are written in permanent ink. Could be dropping nickels in parking meters. That could be changing the color of your hair. That could be going out of your way for somebody who is in the pressure cooker right now of life and just loving on them because kindness matters. And let's not get in the way of each other's kindness. And let's receive it when it's coming our way. But above all, let us remember that acts of kindness for the sake of Christ are written in permanent ink. They're a special category. It really matters. 
fact, Jesus himself, another time when he was, he was uh, teaching a parable about this, was really saying, when you serve others like that, you're really serving me. In fact, here's how he said it. He said in, uh, in Matthew's gospel, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. So today, though, we don't physically minister to Jesus. We minister as his body to others. And when we do, it goes in a special category. Acts of kindness for the sake of Christ are written in permanent ink. They last. I want to be that way. I want to be a person that's got my radar out and I am being kind whenever I can. I want to be that way. And folks, don't we all want that for the way this place operates? What would this place look like if people were just all over this business of kindness? In a moment as we close in prayer, I'm going to pray that God opens up our hearts to that. But let me just tell you one more and we'll head for home. I was in Hawaii just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I... I uh, um, did the Pearl Harbor uh, stuff, went down to see the Arizona Memorial. I drink up that kind of history. And as I'm going through, I'm seeing people in tears. I'm seeing some were Pearl Harbor survivors. And then I read the story of the commander of the air forces that came from those six Japanese carriers, 360 planes in tow at 7 o'clock in the morning on December 7, 1941. The commander of the Japanese air forces in the air at that time, his name was Mitsuo Fuchida. I remember that name, Mitsuo Fuchida. He described that morning when he got up at 3 o'clock how happy he was that they were going to be attacking these Americans. And he described when he came over the mountains and saw over Hickam Airfield and then down into Pearl Harbor how there was a, a smile a mile wide as he looked down and he could see there they were, the sitting ducks. American naval forces just waiting quietly at bay. He is the one who screamed the command out for them to attack. Do you remember the command? Torah, Torah, Torah. Those 360 planes swooped in, left 4,000 casualties in its wake, and also awakened the sleeping giant. Some of you are old enough to remember where you were when that happened. One who is today yet old enough to remember where he was when that happened was Jake DeShazer. Jake DeShazer was over at Pendleton uh, uh, Military Base in California at the time. He was doing KP duty, literally uh, peeling potatoes at the time that it came over the radio what the Japanese had done. So he took that potato in his hand with all his might. He threw it against the wall and it smashed and he screamed out. He said, I'll take every Jap I can get. A month later, Jake DeShazer volunteered to be part of a secret bombing mission known as the Doolittle Mission that would take off from the USS Hornet with these B-25 bombers. He would take off on April 18, 1942, and they would attack Tokyo. He was a bombardier who pulled the lever that dropped bombs over the Japanese. One of the great days of his life. A few minutes later, however, passed into the Sea of Japan looking to land at a safe place in China, instead had to bail out because of problems with the plane and uh, had to parachute out into Nanking, which is under Japanese control. Jake DeShazer, for 40 months, was a prisoner of Japan. Hellish situation. Cruel conditions. Saw his best friend die of starvation right in front of him. Beaten mercilessly. Terrible things. Until one day, somebody did an act of kindness to Jake DeShazer, 25 months into his 40-month-long imprisonment, gave him a Bible. He was allowed to read that Bible for three weeks. 
During the course of reading that Bible, his heart melted. He fell in love with Jesus. He knew Jesus was the way. He committed himself to Christ. And somehow, having gone now from hating his captors with a vengeance to now loving them, he dedicated to God that if given the opportunity, he would return to Japan after the war, and he, with the kindness of Christ, would reach out to every Japanese person who would listen to him. After the war... DeShazer went back to the U.S., spent some time in Bible school, returned to Japan, had a pamphlet made called, I Was a Prisoner of Japan. He had boxes of these things, and he would stand down at the Shibuya train station, the main train station there in Tokyo, day after day, would hand out these pamphlets to anyone who would receive about Historia coming to Christ. It was about that time that the war crime trials were beginning. And the Japanese commanders were now being brought up against, on crimes against humanity and some of their subordinates were called to come and give testimony against them. One of the subordinates, who had at one time been a, had been an air, uh, a Navy hero, was now coming in on the train that day, living a life of drudgery. He was now just farming. At one time he had been a, a Navy hero coming in that day, his tail between his legs. He steps off the train as he's headed to give testimony against his commanders for crimes against humanity. This former Navy pilot for the Japanese walks by, sees an American, scoffs, but sees he has a pamphlet that says, I was a prisoner of Japan. Almost to humor him, he goes by and takes one, walks away and reads the story of Jake DeShazer's conversion to Christ. Mitsuo Fuchida cannot get that story out of his mind. So he buys a Bible, and in the process becomes a Christ follower himself. In all his hatred against humanity evaporates. He determines he will now dedicate his life to spreading the gospel of Christ, and doing every kindness he can in the process. He and Jake DeShazer ended up hooking up. They served in the Pacific Rim. Till Fuchida's death, DeShazer is still alive and lives in Oregon. 29 years after the bombing on Pearl Harbor, this is what your brother in Christ, Mitsuo Fuchida, wrote. He said, I would give anything to retract my actions of 29 years ago at Pearl Harbor, but it is impossible. Instead, I now work at striking the death blow to the basic hatred which infests the human heart and causes such tragedies. And that hatred cannot be uprooted without assistance from Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is powerful enough to change my life and inspire it with his thoughts. He is the only answer to Jake DeShazer's tormented life. He is the only answer for people today. Acts of kindness, the sake of Christ, are written in permanent ink. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads right now. And just for a moment, if you are dealing just with the pressures of life, you're almost feeling like you, 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 you are being torn every which way right now and you would love a touch. I'm not going to embarrass you and it's not going anywhere. I just ask you to put up your hand so as I close in prayer, I can see you. All right, I see you in the back and I see you in the front. Yes, I see, I see a dozen of you right now putting your hands up at least that are saying we're in the pressure cooker right now. Now, here's the other thing. If you're next to somebody that you care about or you could possibly even care about, reach out and take their hand right now as we close in prayer. 
God, help us to be instruments of your mercy to a world that is just torn apart. God, help us to be kind. Help us to see the opportunities. Give us a sensitivity just like Mary had. Father, help us to not body block people when they're doing acts of kindness and help us to receive the kindness when it's headed in our direction. Lord, we want our lives to matter for eternity. We pray that you will help us to write in permanent ink. And for those ones among us who raise their hands or are hurting deeply today, God, may they feel your mercy. May they feel your touch. And God, as we are able, help us to come alongside. Trust you now. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.